Chapter Eleven of The Clue by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven. I decline to say. Schuyler Carleton was questioned next. When Mr. Benson asked him to tell his story, he hesitated and finally said that he would prefer to have the coroner ask direct questions, which he would answer. "'Did you go away from this house with the other guests at about ten o'clock last evening?' "'No, I was not here at dinner. I left at about half-past five in the afternoon.' "'Where did you go?' "'I went directly home and remained there until late in the evening.' Mr. Fessenden was with you? He was with us at dinner. He is staying at my house, as he was invited to be best man at the wedding. Though this statement came calmly from Carlton's lips, it was evident to all that he fully appreciated the tragic picture it suggested. He was with you through the evening? Part of the time. He went early to his room, saying he had some business to attend to. "'Why were you two not here to dinner with Miss Van Norman?' Fessenden looked up, surprised at this question. Surely Mr. Benson had gathered odd bits of information since morning. Schuyler Carlton looked stern. "'I did not come because I did not wish to. Mr. Fessenden remained with me saying he did not care to attend the dinner unless I did. Carlton looked casually at Fessenden as he said this, and though there was no question in the glance, Rob nodded his head in corroboration of the witness. "'You spent the entire evening at home, then?' "'Yes, until a late hour.' "'And then?' "'I returned here between eleven and twelve o'clock to make a call no i came upon an errand what was the errand as it has no bearing upon the case i think it is my privilege to decline to answer you entered the house with a latch key i did is that latch key your own property for the time yes Mrs. Markham gave it to me a few days ago for my convenience, because I have occasion to come to the house so frequently. Was it your intention when you went away in the afternoon to return later? It was. Upon this secret errand? Yes. Did you expect to see Miss Van Norman when you entered the house with the latchkey? I did not. And when you entered, you discovered the tragedy in the library? Schuyler Carleton hesitated. His dry lips quivered, and his whole frame shook with intense emotion. Yes, he stammered. But the mere fact of that hesitation instantly kindled a spark of suspicion in the minds of some of his hearers. Until that moment, Carlton's excessive agitation had been attributed entirely to his grief at the awful fate which had come to his fiancée. But now, all at once, 
the man's demeanor gave an impression of something else. Could it be guilt? Fessenden looked at his friend curiously. In his mind, however, no slightest suspicion was aroused, but he wondered what it was that Carlton was keeping back. Surely the man must know that to make any mystery about his call at the Van Norman mansion the night before was to invite immediate and justifiable suspicion. The court had instructed the district attorney to be present at the inquest, and though that unobtrusive gentleman had taken notes and otherwise shown a quiet interest in the proceedings, he now awakened to a more alert manner and leaned forward to get a better look at the white set face of the witness. Carlton looked like a marble image. His refined patrician features seemed even handsomer for their haggard agony. Surely he was in no way responsible for the awful deed that had been done, and yet just as surely he was possessed of some awful secret fear which kept every nerve strained and tense. Endeavoring not to exhibit the surprise and dismay which he felt, Coroner Benson continued his questions. "'And then, when you discovered Miss Van Norman, what did you do?' Carlton passed his hand across his white brow. "'I hardly know,' he said. "'I was stunned, dazed. I went toward her, and, seeing the dagger on the floor, I picked it up mechanically, scarcely knowing what I did. I felt intuitively that the girl was dead, but I did not touch her, and, not knowing what else to do, I cried out for help.' and turned on the lights i pushed several electric buttons not knowing which were lights and which bells my principal idea was to arouse the inmates of the house at once who first appeared in answer to your call miss dupuy came running downstairs at once followed by miss van norman's maid and then you pointed to the paper that lay on the table near Miss Van Norman's hand? Yes, I could not speak, and I thought that would tell Miss Dupuy that Miss Van Norman had taken her own life. You thought, then, that Miss Van Norman wrote the message? I thought so then, and I think so now. This, of course, produced a sensation but it was only evidenced by a deeper silence on the part of the startled audience. "'But Miss Dupuy asserts that she wrote it,' said the coroner. To this Schuyler Carlton merely gave a slight bow of his handsome head, but it said as plainly as words that his belief was not altered by Miss Dupuy's assertion. "'Granting for the moment, then,' went on Mr. Benson, that Miss Van Norman did write it, is the message intelligible to you? Intelligible, yes, said Carlton, but, as I have said before, inexplicable. This ambiguous speech meant little to most of the listeners, but it seemed to give Robert Fessenden food for thought, and he looked at Carlton with a new wonder in his eyes. Mr. Carlton, said the coroner, with a note of gravity in his voice. 
I think it my duty to tell you that your own interests require you to state the nature of your errand to this house last night. I decline to do so. Then will you state as exactly as you can the hour at which you entered the front door? I don't know precisely, but Miss Dupuy has testified that she came downstairs in response to my call at half-past eleven. I came into the house a, a few moments before. That is all, said the coroner abruptly. Mr. Hunt, if you please. The man from headquarters, who had guarded the present room through the night, came in from the doorway where he had been standing. "'Will you tell what you know concerning Mr. Carlton's entrance last night?' said the coroner briefly. "'I was on guard in the present room from nine o'clock on,' said Mr. Hunt. "'Of course I was on the watch-out for anything unusual and alert to hear any sound. I heard the company go away at ten o'clock. I heard most of the people in the house go to their rooms right after that. I heard, and I also saw, Miss Dupuy go down to the library after that, and return to her room at about half-past ten. I noticed all these things, because that is my business. But they made no special impression on me, as they were but the natural proceedings of the people who belonged here. Of course I was only on the lookout for intruders. I heard the sound of a latch key, and I heard the front door open at exactly quarter after eleven. I stepped out into the hall, and, looking downstairs, I saw Mr. Carlton enter. I also saw Miss Dupuy in the upper hall, looking over the banister. She, too, must have seen Mr. Carlton. But as all of this was none of my business, and as nobody had entered who hadn't a right to, I simply returned to my post. At half-past eleven I heard Mr. Carlton's cry, and saw the lights go up all over the house. Anything more, sir? Not at present, Mr. Hunt. Miss Dupuy, did you hear Mr. Carlton come in? Cicely Dupuy turned an angry face toward Mr. Hunt, and fairly glared at the mild-mannered man. She waited a moment before answering the coroner's question, and then, as if with a sudden resolve, she spoke a sharp, quick, Yes. And that was at quarter after eleven? It was later, declared Cicely for Mr. Carlton told you himself that he went directly into the library as soon as he came into the house, and as I heard his cry at half-past eleven, he must have entered only a few moments before. Schuyler Carlton stared at Cicely, and she returned his gaze. His face was absolutely inscrutable, a pallid mask that might have concealed emotion of any sort but there was a suggestion of fear in the strange eyes as they gazed at Cicely, and though it was quickly suppressed, it had been noted by those most interested. The girl looked straight at him, with determination written in every line of her face. 
it was quite evident to the onlookers that a mental message was passing between these two. "'You are sure, Mr. Hunt, that your statement as to the time is correct?' said the coroner, turning again to him. "'Perfectly sure, sir. It is my business to be sure of the time.' "'Mr. Carlton,' said Mr. Benson, "'there is an apparent discrepancy here, which it is advisable for you to explain.' If you came into this house at quarter after eleven and rang the bells for help at half-past eleven, what were you doing in the meantime? It was out at last. The coroner's question, though quietly put, was equivalent to an accusation. Every eye in the room was turned toward Carlton, and every ear waited in suspense for his reply. At last the answer came. The dazed, uncertain look had returned to Carlton's face, and his voice sounded mechanical, like that of an automaton, as he replied, I decline to say. I think, Mr. Carlton, you can scarcely realize the gravity of the moment, or the mistake you are making in refusing to answer this question. "'I have nothing to say,' repeated Carlton, and his pallor changed to a faint, angry flush of red. "'I am sorry,' said Mr. Benson gently. He seemed to have lost his pompous manner in his genuine anxiety for his witness, and he looked sorrowfully at Carlton's impassive yet stubborn face." "'As so much hinges on the question of who wrote that paper,' he resumed, "'I will make a test now that ought to convince us all. "'Miss Dupuy, you say you wrote it, I believe?' "'I did, yes, sir,' said Cicely, stammering a little now, though she had been calm enough a few minutes before. "'Then you know the words on the paper, by rote?' "'Yes, sir,' said Cicely, uncertain of where this was leading. "'I will ask you, then, to take this paper and pencil, your own pencil, and write the same words in the same way once more.' "'Oh, don't ask me to do that,' implored Cicely, clasping her hands and looking very distressed. "'I not only ask you, but I direct you to do it.' and do it at once." An attendant handed pencil and paper to Cicely, and after a glance at Carlton, who did not meet it, she began to write. Though evidently agitated, she wrote clearly and evenly, and the paper she handed to Coroner Benson a moment later was practically an exact duplicate of the one found on the library table. "'It does not require a handwriting expert,' said the coroner, "'to declare that these two papers were written by the same hand. "'The penmanship is indeed similar to Miss Van Norman's, "'of whose writing I have here many specimens, "'but it is only similar. "'It is by no means identical. "'You may all examine these at your leisure, "'and can only agree to what I say.' The district attorney, who had been comparing the papers, 
laid them down with an air of finality that proved his agreement with the statements made. "'And so,' went on Mr. Benson, "'granting as we must that Miss Dupuy wrote the paper, we have nothing whatever to indicate that this case is a suicide. We are therefore seeking a murderer, and our most earnest efforts must be made to that end. I trust, Mr. Carleton, now that you can no longer think Miss Van Norman wrote the message, that you will aid us in our work by stating frankly how you were occupied during that quarter hour which elapsed between your entering the house and your raising the alarm. But Carleton preserved his stony calm. There was no quarter hour, he said. I may have stepped into the drawing-room a moment before going to the library, but I gave the alarm almost immediately on entering the house. Certainly immediately on my discovery of, of the scene in the library. Cicely looked defiantly at Mr. Hunt, who, in his turn, looked perplexed. The man had no wish to insinuate anything against Mr. Carleton, but, as he had said, it was his business to know the time, and he knew that Mr. Carleton came into the house at quarter after eleven, and not at half-past. The pause that followed was broken by Coroner Benson's voice. "'There is nothing more to be done at present. The inquest is adjourned until tomorrow afternoon. But we have discovered that there has been a crime committed.' There is no doubt that Miss Van Norman was murdered, and that the crime took place between half-past ten and half-past eleven last night. It is our duty to spare no effort to discover the criminal. As an audience, you are now dismissed. End of chapter 11